Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must take place, soon must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. Good morning, church. Um, Our message this morning, a sermon, is called Apocalypse Now. Let me pray for us before we start. Heavenly Father, uh, show us Christ. Show us the glory of Christ through the preaching of the word, Lord, so that all will be in awe of Jesus and submit to him, Lord, who will be victorious when all this plays out. And it will all uh, play out to the glory of Christ, Lord, which is already the plan, which is already happening today. Lord, show us Christ. Amen. The sermon today may sound a little bit like last week, only uh, this week we're going to be going through verses 1 through 3, and this is part of the prologue uh, of Revelation, and actually the entire chapter 1 is technically the prologue, Um, but again, we're just going to be going through verses 1 through 3. Which means at this rate, if you're good at math, if we go three verses a week, that puts us at about three years before we finish Revelation. (coughs) By the time we're we're done with this, Jesus may come back and and show us, experience this, which would be great. Now look, I know the prologue is not the first thing we think about when we think about Revelation. Revelation. Right out of all the great themes and and, and visions and symbols of Revelation, nobody's like the prologue. Like that's that's what we want to study. But Frank, uh, quite frankly, without it, we would have a difficult or um, dare I say impossible time understanding what Revelation is about. In the prologue, we find out everything that we need to know about progressing through this book to understanding how to study it. In fact, right off the bat, the prologue gives us the blessing of telling us what kind of genre it is. And it's actually several genres. And it's so important to understand the genre because, as I mentioned last week, how we view and interpret Revelation affects how we live. You may not realize that yet, but how you view and understand and interpret Revelation will affect how you make decisions in your life. It affects people's uh, spiritual, emotional, physical, and financial well-being. It affects every area of our life. Even this week, I've heard about so many people, I've I've talked to many people uh, recently who have much anxiety over the book of Revelation. Like, that's their main anxiety in life. Like, is this the end? Is this the end times? What is happening? And they're very scared about it. The problem is, well, they don't understand the genre that, that it's, it's communicating. And so they're interpreting the book of Revelation through fear. It's not a horror book. It's not a scary book. It's not a genre of fear. It should not be interpreted through the lens of a fear of the apocalypse. Like this bad thing that's going to happen. How close are we to this very bad thing that is happening? I remember this anxiety myself while I was growing up. And I was told as a child, man, you better have your stuff together because Jesus is coming back by 1987. Right? Some of us were there. Um, Well, that didn't happen. And then uh, 1988 was a huge year. I mean, every day I came in as a child into the church, and and we were told, thanks to Hal Lindsey specifically, who said, 1988 is the year Jesus is coming back. And I was anxious. 
Many times in the 90s, as I was in high school, thanks to Harold Camping and others, just, he's coming back now. A Heaven's Gate cult by 1997, right? All those people who, who killed themselves thinking, for sure, 1997. <coughs> I, I, I couldn't even, I tried to number <laughs> the amount of people who said the year 2000 was it. I, I just, if you were there, you remember. You young people have no idea. Paranoia. Y2K, that's the trigger, man. It's just, how can it not be? That's the end of the world. And now even today, you can go online and look at all the new, when Jesus is coming back, like when's the rapture going to happen? When is the apocalypse going to start? And you get these from all these hype dealers online, on TV, just hyping, selling fear, even calling themselves pastors and scholars. I also remember growing up with the fear of the mark of the beast. <coughs> Anxiety. Man, do not get a tattoo. Do not get a tattoo. That's the mark of the beast. Like I was told, like James, the machines are made. They are ready to put us in lines to get that mark of the beast. And then right as about the time I started working in, in my mid-teens, and I thought about getting a debit card. Don't get a debit card. That's the mark of the beast. Come the 90s, what's the mark of the beast? Computer chips, right? It's always something. It's always something, right? We, there's something you need to be scared of. Even in the last couple years, I don't know if you saw it, but I saw it where people said the vaccine was the mark of the beast, right? There's still people who, who will say that. And quite frankly, um, this, this is the approach to Revelation that fills pews and sells books. But it's also a view of Revelation that is completely wrong and completely misses the point. And you know that because all it does is create anxiety, which is not the application of the book of Revelation. So what's the point of Revelation then? It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's, it, it's two people who love Jesus, about Jesus, how to live and, and follow Jesus in a world that hates him and hates us. Very practical. You live in a world that hates Jesus and hates you. Here's how to do it. And so what's interesting about this, about Revelation, is that it's not just one genre. It's actually three. We'll find three just in the first three voice, uh, uh, verses this morning. And I think as we go through the book, we'll even see there's a couple of different subgenres. So, man, this is interesting. Again, like I said last week, we have to do our homework. Like, it's going to be hard work. And so what are the genres of Revelation? Well, we find the first one in verse 1 where it starts the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation is a genre. What do I mean by that? Well, we get the word revelation from the word apocalypsis. Apocalypsis. Does that word sound familiar? Yeah, right? Apocalypse. And so revelation means apocalypse. Now, when we think apocalypse, what do we think about? Like end times, calamity, doomsday, right? Everything bad that's going to happen, as bad as it's going to get, that's the apocalypse. Yet the actual definition of apocalypse is nothing like this Hollywood definition. Apocalypse means uncovering, unveiling, or revealing. Right? Revelation. It's revealing. <laughs> so that, that's, and so apocalypse actually makes things easier. Right, if you offered somebody apocalypse, like you're making things clear. It's a benefit. It's a good thing to have an apocalypse. You'll understand what is happening. It's not bad. It is helpful. Now, as we talked about last week as well, the, the, the style of an apocalypse is, is what makes it unique. In fact, it's, the fact it's an apocalypse is, is, is the reason there's so much imagery, the reason that there's so much uh, metaphor and symbols in Revelation. And we find this reality in verse 1. It's described right off the bat. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to what? Show to his servants the things that must take place. Show him with symbols. You see that? It's a revealing 
through seeing, through a vision. That's how we're going to understand this truth. Again, this key word, show. These symbols represent things that are true. Everything he sees is true. It is not literal, but it is true. <clears throat> Anybody read the book of Daniel before? Yeah, it's a great book, right? It's exciting, these great visions. And so the book of Revelation is very similar to the book of Daniel. In fact, I believe, as many scholars do, and I'm copying them, that John uh, purposely, in the writing of verse 1, writes it in a way to sound like it's the book of Daniel. And so you may remember in Daniel chapter 2, if you want to bring that picture up, in, Je in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel is brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, who's he's paranoid. He, he is not <coughs> happy. So imagine dreaming this um, from God, right? And so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream uh, with, with this image. Nobody can interpret it except for Daniel. And so Nebuchadnezzar sees this dream of this statue made out of various materials, right? You have gold and silver and bronze and clay and iron. And then this rock comes from the sky and hits it, destroys it. And then the rock fills the earth. Like, that's the vision. Now, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 45, we read these words. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has, been, has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation, sure. And so we have this vision, right? Or, or this dream that's given to Nebuchadnezzar, this symbol that, that is made known, revealed to Nebuchadnezzar by God through Daniel. And he's telling him, this thing you saw is true. This thing that's about to happen is true. I'm letting you know this is what the future is by showing him this vision. And so I believe that John is telling us, by using the same language as this verse, some, a lot of the words line directly up, that he's saying, think of this book like Daniel. Just how that statue was not about materials. If you're hearing a sermon about what the statue was made out of, you miss the point. It's not about the statue or the materials. Right? It's about what is true. And so likewise... When we hear about the dragon and, and numbers and, and horsemen, it's not about those things. It is about the, what is represented by those things. They are pointing to something that God is communicating, making known to us by his grace about the things that will soon take place. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, there's a second kind of genre present in Revelation, and that is prophecy. And we see this in verse 3. For the time is near. And so prophecy, it's a, it's a word I think we think we know what it means, but it's, it's, just, it's just a little bit different than what we think it means. And so prophecy in the Bible, um, it, it's not talking about uh, fortune-telling. It's not talking about a, a crystal ball. Right? It, it's not God predicting the future. It, that way we can like, see if it comes true and whether God's God or not. That's not what prophecy is. Prophecy explains what is going to happen, yes. But it tells you why it's going to happen and how you should react. Let me say that again. Prophecy explains what is going to happen but why and how we are supposed to react. And that is the book of Revelation. It isn't about just figuring out what is happening. What is our response? Why is God doing this? Michael J. Gorman uh, says about prophecy, it is goal. its goal is not speculative foresight, but theological insight. Understanding prophecy is about understanding God's plan but also understanding God's heart, right? God never just says, oh, this is going to happen because I'm God and I'm just telling you, right? There's always an intent behind it. You learn something about God through prophecy. Understanding prophecy isn't about trying to figure out so much when as what. 
What is God trying to communicate to us through telling us this? He doesn't need to tell us any of this. What is he communicating to us? Likewise, the book of Revelation is not about trying to figure out when the rapture happens. It is not about trying to figure out when the rapture happens. There is no mention of a rapture in the book of Revelation. Instead, it is a book about who we are to be in this world. What are we to do? We are called to be faithful and to endure until Jesus comes. Too many people are too concerned about when Jesus is coming back and not whether they are ready for Jesus to come back. We need to put away the newspapers. We need to stop looking at what's happening in Israel right now as though it mattered to us here. We need to put away our crazy charts of all this end time stuff. And we need to spend time looking at our own hearts. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? That's the question we need to be asking ourselves. And that's the intent of God's heart in this prophecy. Are you ready? This is how you should be acting in light of this is what is happening. Right? The apocalypse is now. Are you ready? This prophecy of Revelation was never meant to give anxiety. It was to give comfort and encouragement. You know, we'll see as the churches are addressed, the original audience are told some of them are going to die. But it was meant to give them comfort. That no matter how bad it is, that, that, that Jesus is still with them. This prophecy is given so that we may take comfort in our world today as we look around, as we look on TV, as, as we talk to people in our community, we're like, man, church is losing. We're losing. Like, God, what is happening? Do you see this is happening to us? But because of prophecy, we know, okay, no, it's supposed to look like this. God knows what is happening. The world doesn't win. Jesus wins. Why does he tell us that? So we're comforted. <laughs> so we have confidence in that. So we have hope and not anxiety. Revelation isn't about there's this crazy battle that's going to take place and we don't know who's going to win. It's this battle is taking place and we do know who's going to win. Are you ready? Are you, what side are you going to be on? Are you going to celebrate victory with Christ or are you going to be part of the unfaithful church, the harlot? Are you going to face God's judgment? This leads to the third uh, main genre of Revelation, which it is a letter. It is a letter written from someone to somebody, greeting, body, purpose, ending, just like a letter similar to Paul and Peter. And so who's this letter from? Well, it says in verse 1, it's from God, right? It says, which God gave. And so what's beautiful is we'll see in the next coming weeks, um, especially throughout the prologue in chapter 1, the Trinity is present, It's the revelation of Jesus, but the Trinity is presented as absolutely functioning and being part of what is going on. And we'll we'll see that throughout the book, but especially at the beginning, lest we be confused. God, the triune God, is here. Now, what's interesting is this letter will change hands. Several times, this letter will be passed on, passed on, passed on. And so it goes from the triune God to specifically to Jesus. Again, we find this in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. So from the triune God to Jesus specifically. So we have a letter from God about heaven's favorite subject, Jesus. And the word of here can also be translated from, and I believe that that is correct. We have a letter of Jesus, from Jesus, about Jesus. The whole point of Revelation is Jesus. Sin-conquering lamb, right? 
Jesus who is among us, the devil defeater, evil defeater, the one who just destroys death, makes death non-existent, right? The one riding the, the, the pale horse, right? The groom, the judge, the king. It's all about Jesus. Such a high Christology in Revelation. If you love Jesus, man, Revelation just magnifies poetically, beautifully how awesome Jesus is, is in every possible way we can view him. He is awesome. Revelation is about Jesus. It is not about looking for the Antichrist. The Antichrist is never mentioned in the book of Revelation. Revelation is about the risen Christ. A risen Christ who, it says, gives this letter that was given to him by God to his angel. We see this in verse 1, still in verse 1. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. And so then rather than speculate on who this angel is, we have no idea. We have no idea. We could just, uh, I guess, appreciate that this angel um, had the coolest job ever, right? Bragging rights for eternity. Like, we might bump into this angel someday, right? Probably still be bragging about it. Now, this angel takes the revelation from Jesus and gives it to John. Again, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. All right, so who is John? Who is John? Here's, now we got a question. Who is John? So let me tell you with certainty that we don't know. <laughs> uh, we certainly don't know. And so tradition holds that this is John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John. I hope it is. Like, how cool would that be? Like, my heart wants it to be John, but we do not translate Scripture by our hearts and our emotions. Man, it would be cool to be John. (laughs) I think it is. But it doesn't say that anywhere. Let's be faithful to Scripture. Interpret Scripture through Scripture. But some would say that's what proves it. Right, just like James, who and, and James never talks about in the book of James to start that letter, he doesn't explain who he is. And so it's like, well, if he's so awesome that he doesn't even need to, like, explain himself, it's, it was just James, and here maybe it's just, it's John. Like, if you don't know who I am, then maybe you're reading the wrong letter. But, okay, I, I could see that. I, I could see that argument, but does that give us certainty? No. Um, one thing that's a little more convincing and worth noting is that the early church believed that John the Apostle wrote this. Does that matter? A little bit. You know, we can't interpret Scripture just because somebody at some point believes something doesn't make it true. We've all believed something at some point that we know was ridiculous, right? So we can't use that. But um, Irenaeus in AD 180 mentions John as being the writer of Revelation. Why is that important? Because Irenaeus was the disciple of Polycarp. Polycarp was the disciple of John the Apostle. And so if you backtrack that, it's like, okay, you have John the Apostle. He's talking to Polycarp, his disciple, for his entire life. Polycarp would know who wrote Revelation, right? He would have access to a pretty strong, firm yes or no from John, which would then be communicated to uh, Irenaeus. And so for that reason, for that reason, I lean strongly towards John the Apostle wrote Revelation. I want to believe it, and I do lean strongly, but without certainty that this is John the Apostle. And we also know that that God has communicated and showed John Revelations before, so this wouldn't be very, very uh, difficult to comprehend. Either way, this John, whoever he is, is a great writer, which again, John the Apostle was a great writer. This person has a great understanding of the Old Testament and how to interpret symbols in a way that, that a Jewish audience would understand 
what he's talking about. He doesn't just explain things just as he sees them, but in a way that that points to its counterpart, right, in the whole counsel of God. Again, sounds a lot like John the Apostle. And we also know that he was a faithful follower, which it says in verse 2, John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And so one thing we know about John, this John, is that he's going to be faithful to say what he saw. I don't know if I would do that. Right? Think about that. If you saw a vision like Revelation, would you go tell people? No, let's be honest. No. But this John, who has been faithful <coughs> to Jesus, it says he's faithful. He's going to faithfully describe what he saw, which is exactly who needs to communicate this. And so John is the recipient from heaven, from God to Jesus, to the angel, to John, and then John passes it on as well to its audience. Um, and we see this in verse 1. They're the servants of Jesus, but also in verse 4. Uh, we're going to take a peek at verse 4 this week just to see that it says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. So we have, right, this apocalyptic prophetic letter that's given to the churches of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. Don't worry, we will look at maps, all kinds of maps. We will go over that. Don't worry about that this morning. Other than they are the recipients of this chain from God, of this vision. There is the recipients is the church. This is a letter. This is a pastoral letter to the church. Is it prophetic? Yes. Is it apocalyptic? Yes. What makes it even more unique is that it's both those things and it's a letter to the church. It's a letter. And it's a letter with a blessing, as we talked about last week. Why do we study Revelation? It's a blessing, right? And so verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written, for the time is near. And so there are three parts to this blessing that we see. The first is reading aloud. Reading aloud. Why read aloud? Well, one, it's to be preached. Right? We'll see that more in, in the next two weeks. But this, this was meant to be preached. It's given to the preachers. Right? And so it's meant to be read aloud like we did this morning. And we will continue to do. But also... This audience, most of them could not read. So you could literally have the revelation and not be blessed by it. Why? You don't know what it says. It could say anything. And so you, need, you have to have it read aloud to even participate in that blessing by understanding it. Not to mention, anyway, no one owns, not no one, almost no one owns any sort of sacred scripture. And that should convict us this morning, right? Who hold entire Bibles in our hands. The people of this church would have given who knows how much money for a page of what we have complete in our hands this morning. Which is something I do believe we're going to be held accountable for as well. Reading scripture aloud is itself a blessing. When I have somebody read up here Sunday morning, it's not because I don't know how to read. It's because it's a blessing. It's a sacred assignment. Like you were preaching, right? You were proclaiming, right? Forthtelling the word of God. You are giving the word of God's to God's to God's people. And so when you come up in here and read scripture, I hope you see that. It's not just something we do just to do it. Like I said, I can read scripture. But we want you to participate in the blessing. It's a serious, sacred assignment doing it. <clears throat> Another reason it's to be read aloud is because it demands a response. Right? This letter demands a response. <clears throat> it's a call to resistance. I mean, this is almost like as I read this, as I keep reading through it, it sometimes it kind of sounds like if you've ever been in sports, like, a halftime talk for a team that looks like they're losing, or maybe they are losing. I have a lot of experience of being on those teams, right? And so 
it looks like you're losing the game. And the coach comes back there and he's like, no, guys, the game isn't over yet. We can still do this. And, and, and we find that here, that this is a call to resist, to resist the world, resist the system. Yes, things look bad. Yes, it looks like we're going to lose, but we're not. This is a call to be faithful to Christ over and over, especially in chapters 2 and 3. It's a call to be faithful, highly applicable. It's a call to be faithful. It is a call to worship him as being worthy. We'll see right after the letter to the, to the churches, to the individual churches, chapters 4 and 5 then goes what? It goes right into praise. We go into the throne room of heaven where, where Jesus is being worshipped, right? Because once this revelation is giving given, it's telling us the response should be praise. Even heaven is responding to this being like read aloud. All, all of creation is responding in worship to God as we should. You know, one, one funny side note, if you've never been through the book of Revelation, is you're going to see that many of the songs that we sing have references to Revelation, if not outright just lines from Revelation. And we'll make sure we'll get a lot more of these songs into our worship because it's beautiful. And so when we do that, we are participating with the angels, right? We are participating in a worship that is already happening this morning. Now, the next part of this blessing is hearing. And this seems like the easy part, <coughs> just show up. <clears throat> and this is, unfortunately a lot like the American church, where you think, well, the blessing's in the hearing. It's read aloud, and I hear it, and I show up to church and listen to this guy say stuff, right? And so the blessing's in the hearing. No. Hearing here means understanding, right? Hearing here means understanding what it says. And this echoes the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven fifteen, where he says, he who has ears, let him hear. That's not a biological question. I'm assuming that most everybody had ears there. What's he saying? If you can understand what I'm saying, then you are blessed. Right? The people who should understand what I'm saying aren't even hearing it. If you can hear me, you are blessed. You are blessed. <clears throat> but not everyone could or can hear the word of God let alone Revelation. Think about it. I mean, the book of Revelation is crazy to us, right? If you've read through Revelation preparing for this series, and as we go through it, crazy, right? It's, it, what are we looking at? What are we talking about here? And that's with the Spirit in us. Imagine somebody who, do, who isn't born again, doesn't have a framework of the Bible, doesn't understand the symbols. This book is nuts, and so not everyone can hear. And I, here's some examples that I found of people who could not hear Revelation but had an opinion on it. So Frederick uh, Nietzsche said of Revelation, it is the most rabid outburst of vindictiveness in all recorded history. George Bernard, Bernard Shaw, who also couldn't hear, said it is a curious record of the vision of a drug addict. <clears throat> and, but let's be honest, if... If we didn't have the Spirit inside us telling us, this is awesome, this is beautiful, we would have these same opinions. If someone came to your door and said, here, look, I wrote this. Oh, and this is true. This is what's happening right now. Drug addict, right? And so if you, church, are excited about revelation and love Jesus, you have ears to hear, you are blessed. That is fantastic. And so the, spirit, the, the hearing here is, is spiritual. And third, we have the keeping, right? The keeping. And so this does not mean keep to yourself. That's literally the worst application of this. Or any, any scripture at all. Don't keep it to yourself. Um, by keeping, though, it means obedience. Keep this. Do this. Be obedient to what is going to be asked of you. And we will get more into that. The blessing is in the faithful application. It is in the keeping. And so you're blessed to hear, but you are blessed if you do what it says. If you follow the course, if you follow all of what's asked of you in Revelation, where do you end up? 
with Jesus, right? You're blessed. Like, it makes perfect sense. Hey, you can hear this great. Now just follow through. You will end up at Jesus. That is a blessing, amen? <clears throat> There's blessing in the comfort and promises of Christ. No matter how bad it gets, and it's going to get worse before it gets worse, God sees us. He knows what it's happening. We're reading about it. He's, he's prophesied it. He showed us over and over. He has not forgotten. He is control. He is coming as the king, as the groom to the church which he loves. In chapters 2 and 3, we'll see this call to endure and to conquer over and over. And what's the result of that? It's these beautiful blessings. Right At the end of every time he talks to a church, it ends with instructions to do something, usually to endure or conquer with the blessing, which is something to do with heaven or Christ himself. Right, The blessing is in the doing. Hear it, like hear it, right? Understand it and do it. You receive blessing. Any one of those that you take out, it's not good. You're not going to be blessed. Because it is about instructions, because Revelation is about the doing and not just about the figuring out of Revelation, it's not a puzzle to be solved. And so let me just save you some time and mention that Revelation is not about the church being raptured out of the world. Revelation is about the church being faithful to Christ in Revelation, in the apocalypse which is happening now. And so the last part of these verses that we haven't looked at is the time frame, right? The time frame. So we have two time frames given just in these three verses, and we'll get a lot of these. The first one in verse 1, this must soon take place. And in verse 3, for the time is near. And so the events of Revelation are very soon, very near, and the language is even stronger than that. It's like it's on your lap, like it is here. And so... We can't skip over that. We will, however, take a step back just for a moment to talk about when it was written because, well, if, it was, if it's near, well, then we know it's past, at least the beginning of Revelation. So when was that? Where are we at time-wise? <clears throat> and so there are two views on when Revelation is written. I told you we're going to do some hard work. <laughs> two views on when Revelation was written. I don't think it matters a whole lot where you fall. It's a 20-year window, somewhere between maybe 25 years, from about 65 AD to about 90 AD at the latest. Now, um, some people would hold to an earlier date, earlier just meaning 25 years earlier. And the reason for that is they, they would hold to that most of Revelation took place if not entirely, by A.D. 70 in the destruction of the temple. The second view is that it was written between 85 and 90, somewhere just before John died, and talks about a slightly later period of persecution. Now, we know historically both periods are bad. You, you can make an argument for both periods being accurate. My conviction, and as I've said before, it's okay to disagree with me, um, they both really fit, but my conviction is that it's an earlier date. And there's a couple of reasons for this, and a lot of it has to do with, with the prophets of old and what they talked about, how they talked about the events that are taking place, but it also has to do with the words of Jesus himself who tells those who say, may your blood be on our own head, and he's like, okay, yeah, no, it will be. And so it makes sense that that same audience that Jesus said, when you see these things, all, all of his talking like that, would at least see some form of them. That's just coherent. Otherwise, what was Jesus talking about? Right? That's a whole other discussion. And so for that reason, I lean towards an earlier date. And I do believe that a lot of revelation in its first cycle took place in AD 70. It just makes too much too much sense. And as I've said before, um, I believe we are in it now, and I believe there's events that are going to happen, and we're going to see that language actually throughout the book, where it says the things that, that took place are happening, 
and are going to take place. We're going to see that language throughout the book. It's not me just throwing my opinion out because my opinion isn't worth, you know, what the weight of Scripture is worth, of course. <clears throat> and so either way, the time is near. That's what the language says. The time is near. Now, one of the reasons I, I do lean towards, actually not lean towards, I, I'm really confident that's an earlier date, is because of the book of Daniel. Right, the book of Daniel, again, which has many of these same visions, I think sets up the book of Revelation. Remember that statue that, that had the many uh, materials, right? It was made out of many materials. And that rock comes and hits the statue, destroys the statue, and it is just, the rock fills the earth. And so we know that that rock was Christ, right? And the filling the earth is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is going to come destroy the empires, destroy the kingdoms of the earth, and then take over the earth. And so the, the kingdom of God, according to Christ, was inaugurated by his coming. And this is what Jesus says in Mark 1.15. <clears throat> Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so now let's put Daniel and Revelation side by side. And so you had this vision of this stone coming and hitting, right, the world system. It's going to destroy it and then just slowly take over the world. We know that rock is the kingdom of God. Now Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. And so that's why I believe when Jesus came, especially when he ascended, that is the beginning of the last days. That is the beginning of the world being taken over by the gospel, by the kingdom of God spreading The ascension of Christ to heaven was the beginning of the last days. He is reigning. And we are going to be in the last days. We are going to be in apocalypse now until he returns. When he returns, which Jesus calls the age to come, which we'll be going through, because that's Jesus' language, is this age and the age to come, right? There's only two ages. Jesus is in heaven reigning, and Jesus is on earth reigning. There's not going to be death, no Satan, no tears, only God and heaven and Jesus and each other forever. Sound good? Right. And so, does that give you anxiety or hope? Hope, right. And so, that's what Revelation should give us. Back to the timing, though. <clears throat> Again, bringing Daniel and Revelation together. There's so many points where they come together. God tells Daniel to seal his prophecy. We find this in Daniel 12, verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. And so don't, don't show this to anybody. Like, it's not going to mean anything. Like, why would you tell these people what I just told you? It's not happening to them. It's not till a little while. It's not till the end comes that this is going to make sense. Put it away. Put it away, right? The end of Revelation, we have the contrast to that. Revelation 22.10, it says, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Wasn't that interesting? Why not seal up the book? Because now is that time, Right? Don't seal it up because the vision, the prophecy I gave you, you can apply. You're going to see this happen. I'm telling you this so that when you see this happen, you understand what is happening. It is immediate. Over and over, the time is near. This is what must soon take place. That language is there throughout the book. You know, I, I get the response sometimes from people who would disagree with this. And it's in the language, and we, we'll go through this. We understand language. I tell you, I'm coming to your house after church. You're not expecting me 3,000 years from now. Right? That, that's, and why would you think God is going to confuse you? And so the argument would be, well, what about Peter? Peter said, you know, a day to the Lord is like a 1,000 years. Right? We know that verse. And it says that. But that is not about time. That verse is to show how incredible God's patience is with us. It wasn't to tell us how time works in heaven. 
right? It was to tell us how great God is, how merciful God is. You think you're getting away with something. No, God is being patient with you, right? A lot of time hasn't passed. Because he lives outside of time, his patience is insane for you. So please repent. That was Peter's argument. Not, hey guys, I know how, I know how time works in heaven. So one day for us is like, right, you know, um, or is it like inception? Not inception. Is that the, we're like the one minute, what is it? Interstellar? Yeah. And so, like, that's not what this is about. It's like, how, how does time work on this planet? How does time work in heaven? No, the point of Peter was God is infinitely patient and wants you to repent. And so when, when, when God says the time is near, the time is near. We are in the apocalypse just like they were. They saw it. They felt it. Some of them died. They were dispersed around the world. Some of them were, were put on poles and lit on fire, right, where we get Roman candles from because they lit the Colosseum. They experienced revelation. Just as many Christians have throughout history, as we do today in a world that's telling us little by little, you see it, right? Our culture telling us you need to get on board with this or else, right? We see it happening again. You can't say we don't see it happening again. We are in the last days. But the kingdom of God is growing, right? There are more Christians today than there's ever been across more of the world that there's ever been, just like Daniel's vision, right? Every time an empire rises, we've seen empires throughout history, and they come and they destroy Christians. I mean, just look through the history of Africa and the killing of thousands of Christians, like almost wiping out Christianity. You know, in Europe, you know, where, where the Catholic Church killed hundreds of thousands of, of, of Christians, right? And so we see it happening over and over. But every time they are stopped, every time they think, oh, just like in Revelation, we are done, it's over. Where, where, where is Christianity growing the fastest, or at least the second fastest in the world right now? Africa, right? Everybody thought they were done, like church was destroyed, right? But it wasn't. <coughs> you know, the, the Catholic Church, when they killed hundreds and thousands of Christians, where, where did the, the remnant go? They came here, right? So we're here, right? And for religious freedom, and so they thought, you know, uh, Queen, am I forgetting, Mary? Was it Mary? Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, so Queen Mary, she thought, yeah, I destroyed it. Christianity, like, it's done. Like, at least her interpretation of, of what was wrong, they're gone. No, they went and became Americans. Not Americans yet, but you know what I mean. And so this huge church that comes out of that, these empires are going to rise and think they defeat Christianity, and it is just going to keep growing over and over, just like we are going to see in this book of Revelation. Every day we are a day closer to the ultimate defeat of Satan. And he knows it. Just like every day we're a day closer to the victory of Jesus. And this should give us hope right? Because we are going to celebrate with him, right? That's what the rapture actually talks about. When it says calling us up with a horn, that's a horn of victory. Game over, right? That's it. When you hear the horn, don't look around trying to figure out what's happening. That is a victory horn. I mean, that, that's it. That, that is the age to come. Come, be called up into the sky and come back into vi victory, just like the wording is that of a Roman emperor coming back into Rome after a victorious battle. Everybody in the city comes out, meets him, and comes back into the city with him. The perusia is you are called out up into the sky of a twinkling in an eye with these crazy angelic trumpets. Like there's nothing secret about that, right? If you, if you believe like there's going to be this secret thing. It's trumpets from angels. There's no secret. Like, your ears are going to bleed if you hear that, right? There's, there's no secret about it. You go up to heaven, and you're ushered in with him into his victory. And that should give us hope. Now, I love the way uh, G.K. Beale puts it. I'm talking about this situation. He says, the analogy of a chess game is appropriate. The sacrificial move of Christ at the cross puts the devil in a checkmate, deals him a mortal wound. 
The devil knows he has lost, but continues to play the game of rebellion. But his defeat is assured. Just as Christian, your victory in Christ is assured. Be encouraged. The Lord sees what is happening. He sees us being persecuted, and he loves us, and he wants us to resist. Why would he ask us to resist and command us to resist? Because he knows what we're going through and how tempting it is. We're going to see this over and over, the tempting of the harlot, right? This, oh, come with me. I'm so beautiful. Here's the power. Here's the glory. Here's the riches. Come to me. But Jesus says, no, resist. Be my bride. Don't be the harlot. Be my bride. Resist that temptation to be the harlot. And he wants us to remain faithful because he is coming and he is worthy. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, what a hopeful, what a hopeful book Revelation is. <clears throat> Lord, I know that many of us here find this a difficult book to interpret for many reasons, including our, our traditions, um, what we want to be true, Lord. But I ask by the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would give us wisdom in how to handle it and to understand that it's a book about you, Right, that, that it's a book that, that glorifies Jesus, that calls people who love Jesus to be faithful to Jesus in a world that hates them and might even kill them. Help us to understand this in a way that deepens our faith, that deepens our commitment to reaching our community, that changes the way that we worship, Lord. Knowing that every Sunday we're just gathering in a worship service that has already begun. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.